Thanks, Mike. Morning, everybody. So we're going to kick straight in because we've got a little bit to get through this morning. Um, all good, I promise you. And uh, we're following on from Mike's talk last week. Um, for those visiting or maybe new to Kings, just to say that we're going through a series from the Gospel of Luke. There are four Gospels, four accounts in the New Testament of the life of Jesus, and we're going through the Gospel of Luke. And we've come to something this morning that we call the Beatitudes. And you're probably thinking, what's one of them? I shall explain. But I've subtitled it this, Jesus and his revolutionary mission statement. It's early days in Jesus' mission, and already he's attracted quite a lot of attention, as we will see. It's a priority at the moment that seems to be to set his mission on the right footing. So let's start to read from chapter 6, verse 12. Overlaps a little bit with Mike from last week, but that's not a problem. Um, and by the way, can I just say, um, if you've come this morning, don't have a Bible. You may have noticed that on the table at the back, there are some Bibles that you can either borrow, if you want to follow along, if you like reading the printed word, or if you want to take one of those home, if you don't have a Bible at home, you're welcome to do so. It's a gift from us. So, chapter 6 and verse 12. One of those days, Jesus went out onto a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. When morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later became a traitor. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, from the coastal regions around Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and be healed of their diseases. Can I just say at this point, by the way, I, I don't know how familiar you, you might be with the geography of the land of Israel, but that means there were people there from the whole country. Okay, Jerusalem. This, this incident probably took place in the north, in Galilee, uh, near Nazareth, where Jesus had spent his childhood and, and, and grew up um, on the shores of, of Lake Galilee. But when it talks here about Jerusalem and Judea, this is in the south. And when it talks about Tyre and Sidon, they're way up on the, the northwest coast. So Jesus has already, even though it's early days of his ministry, he's already attracted a, a significant following. From It's a little bit like if we were to say Jesus was in Darlington, and there were people there from London and the home counties, and there were people there from the coastal towns of Cumbria, all over the place. They'd come to hear him. What an amazing thing to be happening at this stage in his ministry. And it says, if we pick it up again from verse 18, they'd come to hear him. They'd come to be healed of their diseases. They'd come because they were troubled by impure spirits. Those who were troubled were cured. And all the people tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. 
That's amazing to start with, isn't it? And then he looked to them and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. When he talks about the Son of Man, he's talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus. Rejoice in that day. Leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you. When everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who ill-treat you. Somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. Someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So there we have it. The beginning of Jesus' public teaching and the training of his disciples. As we saw with Mike last week, Jesus is at the start of his mission. He's chosen his top team. And did you notice that that there's a large number of disciples and then the apostles, the 12, within that? And he's now embarking on some training. What's he doing? Well, a good way of understanding what's going on here is actually something that I picked up from this book. This is Tom Wright's book of daily readings from uh, the book of Luke, called Luke for Everybody. So I'm not going to claim any credit for this illustration. But it's a little bit like, imagine a teacher at a school looking out on the kids at playtime. And there's loads of kids just running around kicking football all over the place. And the teacher thinks, oh, there's some potential here. So the teacher starts to go out into the playground and say, um, hey, you, just, just come here. And, and you just, just come here. And he starts to select some of the more able of the, the, of the football players and starts to coach them a little bit. And starts to say to them, you, you, you spent all your time running up and down the ring but I need you in defense. You, you hog the goal line. Not only is that going to make you offside, also, I'm going to need you to do a job in midfield sometime. You, you're ball watching. All you're doing is standing there watching. Be aware of everybody else. Start playing like a team. And see what's happening. He's starting to take the kids and mold them and shape them into into something that could, into a team that could go somewhere. They still have fun. They still kick the ball around. They're still enjoying themselves. They're still working off the energy. But they're starting to be shaped and molded into a team. And this is what Jesus is starting to do here. He's starting to say, right, you're following me. You've seen me do healings. You've seen me feed uh, the hungry. But actually, I've got a job for all of you guys. Not just the 12 apostles, but the whole of the disciple group. I've got a job for you, but I need to teach you. 
I need to start to give you some idea of my priorities, instill some values into you. You know, it's easy for us to forget the disciples didn't know what was coming. We're at the start of Jesus' ministry, and we know with hindsight the way in which Jesus' story pans out. But at this stage, the disciples don't know, do they? I wonder, I wonder what they thought, those disciples, as they, they embarked on this adventure with Jesus. Some of them had been called, you know, away from fishing or other activities, and they decided to follow Jesus. But I wonder what it was, I wonder what their expectations were. You know, at this time, Jewish expectations of the Messiah had been around for quite a while. Um, many years, really, prior to Jesus' ministry, the whole thing of, of, of the Messiah was a bit of a hot topic. But the expectations came in many forms. Certainly, some of them would have expected the kind of religious parts. You know, Jesus is teaching on how to live and how to worship and so on. Some of them would have been expecting um, a, a kind of engagement with the Roman forces. Many of them would have been thinking it's a scandal that Romans occupy the land, the promised land of God's people. Maybe at some point in the future uh, we'll be involved in warfare. I wonder if we need to be trained to fight. I wonder if we need to be trained to really hate those who are occupying our land. I wonder if Jesus is going to reinforce this sense of outrage that we've got, that these Roman people are here. For some of them, at least, as they looked ahead, they would be, have that kind of expectation about the time they would spend with Jesus. But when Jesus looked ahead, well, he saw some of those things. He saw the public ministry. He saw crowds following, hungry and thirsty for truth desperate for hope. And for sure, Jesus would have seen up ahead plenty of antagonism from the Roman authorities and even from the Jewish authorities. But he saw something else. He would have seen the crowds turning against him at some point. He would have seen the loneliness of the path sometimes. And perhaps even at this stage in his ministry, he could see the dark shadow of a Roman cross a cosmic battle between the God of light and the powers of darkness. Jesus knew what was coming, and he had to start to train and set the expectation of the disciples. So he starts to talk about blessing. It's a funny thing to say, isn't it? Blessed to the poor. What does it even mean? And some of the language that, that is used here is a bit unfamiliar to us, if we're honest. We don't go around... Well, we maybe say the word blessing sometimes, don't we? We might say, bless you if somebody sneezes. We might say, you're going away for a week, for a holiday. I hope you're blessed with good weather. But as far as we know, nobody sneezed on this occasion. And Jesus isn't really talking about the weather. He's talking about blessing in the sense of giving not only good wishes, but out of the lips of Jesus, something much more concrete than that. These things are described as beatitudes. That's hardly a word we use every day, is it? Just means blessings. If I went into Mags's office this morning, Mags is the administrator here at, at King's, and I said, I just want to give you a beatitude. She'd give me a very strange look. 
Um, actually, Mags often gives me very strange looks, but that's another story. But it's not a word we use, and yet here what we've got is a set of blessings. The word woes as well, that's a bit funny, isn't it? You know, we don't, we don't go around saying woe very often. Um, I just thinking during the week, this will probably show the age I am. The first thing that came into my head was woe, the word woe, when I thought about it, was, um, you know, some of the old carry-on films, Ken, Kenneth Williams, you know, running around saying, woe, woe is me, woe. It's not a common everyday word, but what it means here is Jesus is, when he uses it, he's giving warnings. But blessing is actually a really, really important thing for us to understand as a theme that occurs throughout the Bible. Because God is a God of blessing. It's his nature. It's, his, it's the thing he naturally does. He blesses. And if you want to just kind of evidence for that, you need to just start looking through the Bible, and it's all over the place. Even in the very first chapter of Genesis, where God has created created the world, created the environment we live in, gone on to create the, uh, you know, the, the plant life and then create the animal life and then create mankind, humankind in his image. Then it says, God blessed them. God blessed them and said, go out and be fruitful. And that's not just a nice warm fuzzy feeling. That is God empowering. That is God saying, right, I've given you now the the wherewithal to go and do what will be fruitful for you, what will be beneficial for you. But it's all through Scripture. Psalms, the book of Psalms, the Bible's songbook, opens with blessing. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. We were in a prayer meeting this morning. John was reminding us that in Psalm 133, it talks about God pronouncing a blessing on situations where there is unity amongst God's people. Even all the way through to the very end of the Bible, the final chapter of um, Revelation, God pronounces a blessing on those who have, it says, washed their robes, which is just a phrase that means cleanse themselves before God, and they have a right to the tree of life. So from the start to the end of the Bible, Blessing is a theme. It's quite often quoted in the Old Testament, the promise of abundance, but contrasted with warnings. That's quite a, a common thing. You get it in places like Proverbs. Um, you get it in places like Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you follow my decrees, God said to the people of Israel, as they're about to go into the land, if you follow my decrees, I will bless you in the city. I will bless you in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed. But then you get the contrast. If you do not follow my ways, then there will be curses upon you. So choose life. Even in that psalm I just quoted a few minutes ago, first psalm, blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water. And then it says, but not so the wicked. So this pattern of blessings contrasted with warnings or curses 
is a very commonly used one throughout Scripture. And Jesus, as we saw earlier, is, is following that. But I have to say at this stage, you know, I was talking quite a while ago with, uh, with somebody about this kind of thing, and I said, you know, it's important that we don't just remember the blessings, we also remember the warnings. And uh, we were just sort of talking away, and, and, and uh, the person said to me, oh, yeah, you've got to have balance. As I was reflecting on that afterwards, I thought, balance? Balance? No. Balance is when you have two things that are roughly the same weight that are balanced against one another. Don't ever think that God's blessings and God's warnings are balanced because this is what it says. His anger lasts for a moment, but his favor lasts for a lifetime. He may be slow to anger, but he's abounding in loving kindness, it says in the Psalms. Even in the book of Exodus, you know, God is giving the Ten Commandments and says, be careful, because the impact of sin can be felt to the third and the fourth generation. But then in the next verse, it says, for a thousand generations, God shows his favor to those who love him. So although the passage that we've got today contains both blessings and woes, as it says, or warnings, however you like to think of them, all of these things come from a heart of God, a heart of compassion, a heart that says, I love you, so I'm going to tell you how to be blessed, and then I love you, so I'm going to warn you how to, you know, things to avoid, things that might be a pitfall for us. And you'll have noticed that the, as we read through the, the, the passage earlier on, that the blessings and the woes kind of complement each other. So, for example, um, if we look at the whole thing of poverty and riches, which is, yep, yeah, well done, next slide, that's great. Um, and again, I'm using the wording here, not back, back one, back one, thanks, that's great. Um, I'm using the wording here from from Tom Wright's translation, which is in his book. By the way, if anybody would like to borrow this so that you've got some daily readings to go along with our series on Luke, come see me afterwards. You can borrow this copy. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll even throw in for free a very handy King's Church bookmark, um, which sounds very generous of me, but actually there's a whole pile of these on the table at the back. Do take one. But in all seriousness, if you want to go through Luke day by day as we're going through the series, you're welcome to borrow this. And Tom Wright translates verse 20 as this. Blessings on the poor. God's kingdom belongs to you. But woe betide, in 24, woe betide you, rich. You've had your comfort. What does this say to us? What does this pair, pairing of statements, say to us? In many ways, of course, if we took a kind of global perspective, all of us here are rich to the, to the point of ridiculousness, actually, aren't we? But some of you, I know, won't feel that. You'll feel, man, things are tight, never quite sure where the next penny's coming from. And we can, in a funny kind of way, experience both poverty and richness. But, you know, I think the, tra- the challenge for us with this pair of a blessing and a woe is this. How are you stewarding your material possessions? How are you stewarding your material possessions? 
Are you always anxious about money? And does your anxiety about money close off your eyes to the possibility of blessing others with wealth that you have, even though they may not be very much of it? Has your anxiety become like the blinkers on a pair of horses' eyes that only allow them to see a very limited vision? Because Jesus is saying something here. God's blessing is on the poor. Now, if God, God's heart is on the poor, mine better be as well if I want to follow God, hadn't it? That's how it works. I'd better wise up to where God wants to bestow a blessing and join in because that's the way I work towards the values that make me Jesus' disciples. So let's heed the warning. Let's not be like the rich who just wallow in our own comfort, but let's see how we can serve the poor. The next pairing, hunger and fullness. Blessings on those who are hungry. You'll have a feast. Now, this is God's heart. God doesn't want anybody to be hungry. But woe betide you if you're full today. You'll end up going hungry. And again, these are warnings that are painted in very broad brush terms for us. But it's saying to us, are you obsessed by your own fullness? Or are you sensitive to the plight of others? And again, in the society we live in, the culture that we live in, the economy that we live in, very few of us go, go hungry. But there's, a, there's an underlying message for us, isn't there, which says those who struggle to provide for themselves, we need to be sensitive to those. We need to bear in mind that God's heart is to bless them and make sure that everybody has a feast. Weeping and laughing. Blessings on those who weep today. You'll be laughing. But woe betide you if you are laughing today. You'll be mourning and weeping. Again, the language is a little bit stark, isn't it? It's a little bit, well, you could, you could pick holes in that. But the, what Jesus is saying is, if you are in that situation where things are hard, there is the promise of better times. And as we often say from this platform, we need to be real about times of sorrow. We all get them in life. We all go through good times and bad times. But if you're going through a hard time at the moment, what this passage is saying to you and what we say to you in the name of Jesus is God's heart is with you and for you. But what we need to do is have faith in the promises of God. Because laughter will come. The good times will come. God's blessing will come. Here's an interesting one. Here's an interesting pairing. Persecution versus popularity. Blessings on you when people hate you, shut you out when they slander you and reject your name as if it was evil because of the Son of Man. Woe betide you when everyone speaks well of you 
That's what your ancestors did to the false prophets. The reference to the prophets is just Jesus looking back into the history of the people of Israel and recognizing that very often the people who came and genuinely spoke the true words from God, very often those people were put to one side or persecuted or shunned. But very often the people that said, everything's going to be fine, don't worry. Those were the false prophets. And sometimes the false prophets were, were basically saying, listen, you people of Israel, I know you've rejected God. I know you've disobeyed the laws, but don't worry, everything will be all right. So there were false prophets because they were, they were telling lies. They were saying things that were not true. And yet, they were welcomed. Now, doesn't that strike you as very, very contemporary? I think what this pair of verses is saying to us is watch where you get your identity from. Watch where the focus of your identity is. If you're going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to follow Jesus, there will be times when I'm not going to be popular. There will be times when I will need to do things that don't fit in with the way society operates at the moment. Say things, believe things, have values that are not necessarily the values or the practices of the culture that we live in. And if all I'm conscious of is my reputation, how people speak of me, I'm going to find it very hard to be a follower of Jesus. Not all the time. Very often people welcome us when we, you know, when, when we, we look like Jesus. It's a, it's a welcoming thing. But there are times when we've got to confront. There are times when we have to say, no, the world may be going in that direction. I can't. I can't do that because that would be to deny the teaching of my Master. Can I just say, watch the influence of social media. I know some of you avoid it, probably good. <laughs> I know some of you love it. It has its places. But it can draw us in to feeling our identity, our acceptance, our popularity is based on how people react around us. And it's insidious, and it can be toxic for us, actually. Woe betide you when everybody likes all of your Facebook posts, because that's what they did to the false prophets. So in all these things, what is the Lord saying to us? Let's sum it up like this. My thoughts, says God, are not your thoughts. Change your values for mine. We need to take the world's values, the world's priorities, and turn them upside down. In fact, that's what was said of the early Christians. You've probably come across that verse. There was a time when Paul and Silas were going around as part of their, their missionary journeys. They were going around uh, Greece. They came to a place called Thessalonica. And there was somebody there who'd already heard what they were doing. And they said, oh, look out, guys. Here comes Paul and Silas. These are the guys that are turning the world upside down. I'd love that to be our testimony, wouldn't you? This is King's Church, guys. These are the people who are turning the world upside down. Here's Darlington Baptist Church. They're turning the world upside down. Here's St. Cuth's. They're turning the world upside down. 
Wouldn't it be great if God's people in Darlington start to get that reputation? I think it'd be fantastic. Yeah? It's great that we're known for our food bank and our furniture scheme and, and other things. But we, can, we need to be much more revolutionary than that. This is what Jesus is teaching us here. So let's bless the poor. Let's bless the hungry, the hurting. And let's tackle in our own lives the greed and the insensitivity to the needs of others. I've skipped a whole page on my notes. Is that a good thing? Because <laughs> this is Jesus' mission. This is, this is the kingdom. This is the good news for those who hadn't had any for a very long time. The poor, the hurting, the hungry. We need to hear both the blessings and the woes, don't we? We need to be confident of the promise of blessing. And we need to take heed to the warnings but let me just ask you this this morning. These upside-down values, how do they sit with you? How do you feel about them? How do you feel about being told when somebody strikes you in one cheek, turn the other? How do you feel about being told when somebody takes something, don't go and get it back, Revolutionary. But brothers and sisters, this is the only way life works. The world's been trying the opposite for umpteen thousands of years, and look where it's got us. Jesus came to deliver the true way to live. And brothers and sisters, we need to start to outwork it in our lives. Whatever it means, whatever it may cost, we want to be shaped by these values. So it's determined to follow Jesus and walk his walk, even if it doesn't make us popular. But let's do all of these things in faith that as we, the people of God, showcase God's values and way of living, so many people will see and be attracted to Jesus. And this way, we'll see the kingdom grow. Amen? Okay, finally then, just to finish with, uh, ask the band to come back up. As I was preparing for today, um, I was reminded that not only does God bless us, but God wants us to be a blessing to the world around us. Um, there's a there's a little verse in, in the book of Numbers when the people of God, they're marching through uh, foreign territories um, and they're starting to get, get noticed. This is between the um, exodus from Egypt and the entry into the promised land. And there's, there's a point where some people say, well, we, we might come with you. And Moses says to those people, come with us and we will do you good. Can we say that as a church to the world around us? Come with us. And we will do I hope we can. I hope we're ready for that, don't you? Come with us and we will do you good. But the way we do that is to be confident that God wants to bless the world around us through us. Who are we? Why did he choose us to do this? I have no idea. But that's the mission. And that's what he wants us to accomplish. 
I was very blessed. I know many of us were with the blessing song that came out last year. You remember it? The Lord bless you and keep you picking up words from the Bible, but almost like proclaiming them out over the nation. The nation sat and listened. I don't know if you're aware that during the pandemic when that song came out, um, even the government, um, people in, in, in power heard this song and found it a source of encouragement. Um, I think uh, they even got an award from, um, from the Prime Minister for, for that song. Yeah, because it was the people of God saying, may his favour be upon you to a thousand generations. The Lord bless you and keep you. So I thought we would finish today by singing that song together. And I'd like us to sing it as a proclamation to the town of Darlington. Can we do that together? If you need a blessing, by all means sing it for yourself. That's, that's not counted out. But I want us also to, I'd almost like us, it might be a bit weird, but I'd almost like us to face the wall and just kind of go, the Lord bless you. May his favor be upon you. Think about your street, your neighbors. Think about your work colleagues. Think about the area that this building is in. Yeah? May his favor be upon it. The Lord bless you and keep you. So we're just going to sing that together. Um, if you are able to, I think it would be good to stand. Of course, we need to put our face coverings back on. Thanks for um, complying with that, guys. Really appreciate it. But we, let's prophesy this to the people of Darlington. Are you ready to do that? Thanks, Graham.